Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Good morning, Josh. How evening, afternoon. I always forget to put that part in. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Miss <laughs> Ritter? Mrs. Ritter. Mrs. Mrs. I know. That's hard to say. It's Mrs. Ritter, but Mrs. thank you. Ritter. I'm wonderful. Happily married. Thank you very much. She is now married, everybody. I am. <laughs> we may have to redo our intro. She is somebody else's problem. <laughs> I'm not a problem. I am a blessing. Thank you very much. I hope Greg says the same thing. He does. He does. All the time. <laughs> I'm sure he does. He does. I'm pretty awesome. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I had a great weekend. How about you? It was good. You know, it was birthday weekend. Yeah. Had fun. Yeah. You know, went out on the Blue Ridge Parkway. You guys, Josh had a birthday. And um, he's old. I'm getting For there. all the times you give me a hard time about being older. How old are you? 40,000? 30, 36 today. <laughs> so 30. you're really... What do you tell me? 72. You're 72. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe more than that. I don't know. <laughs> how do you? Depends on how we're feeling for the day. Today, I feel 80. Tomorrow, I might feel 40. I, I might feel 18. So, my, my daughter, her birthday gift to me was money to go on a trip for gas. She wanted to pay the gas for our trip. Oh, she's oh. so sweet. So, you know, for those that don't know, I go out every weekend. I do pictures somewhere. Yeah. And she wanted to just pay for the gas for the day. That's awesome. So tell me, walk me through your walk me through your birthday. So at two thirty a.m., I get everybody up. Oh my gosh. They love that. I would, be, I would be on another planet in my brain at that point. I would be like, I'm kicking you in the face. But anyway, go ahead. My daughter's dragging, and I'm like, Hey, <laughs> you paid for this. Get up. <laughs> and they throw them in the car about three, and we are on our way to mile marker one. And at seven thirty, we get there. Right. And we just cruised the parkway all day. That's and awesome. We, we did go back into Lynchburg. We used to live in Lynchburg for a while. And uh, went in, ate at a place the kids loved to used to eat at and stuff. So That's awesome. It was nice, too. I follow you guys on social media and noticed that you tried to even sit in the same booth. So yep. that you can show. You did like a, a picture of, from way back to kind of compare to now. Yeah, because our kids are... 15 and 16 now, and right. when that picture was taken, they were like five and six. That's adorable. It was a really great picture. Yeah, so Ethan always sat with me when we when he was little. Yeah. That's just one of the things we like to do when we go out to eat. I really liked that picture. I thought that was great. I'm glad you had a really good birthday. You deserve it. Thank you. We, ha- we have a bunch of pictures like that from different historic areas. Right. So we're going to try to recreate some later on. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I mean, we, we just saw your um, some new pictures that you put up, and they were really cool. Uh, Greg and I always follow you whenever you do pictures, so um, Thank you. they're really great. He's, he always it. beats me, though. He's like, I've already liked it. I've already done it. <laughs> he like, I'm like, did you see what Josh I already liked it? Like, like, really? There's Thanks. Pe- you know, there's people that on YouTube videos that'll just comment first. So they can just be the first to comment. Yeah. My mom follows you now. I know. Like, our whole family is a fan. It's getting there. Yeah. It's growing. Just from the Ritter family. Well, from all of the pe- for all of our fans out there, Josh he photographed our wedding because Greg's mama Anne, who is a huge Impact Stigma fan, yeah, surprised us with you as our photographer for the wedding, and it was so great. So oh. it was really it was wonderful. So I'm, I really appreciate that. Now everybody loves Josh, and we have more fans. 
we have more because of that day <laughs> and more people listening because of that day and everybody follows josh um on all of his social media now in our family so well, i appreciate that yeah we're, we're supporters and stuff you all need to start your own channel now <laughs> i don't even know what that would be but we're not gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> all right well the idea for today's topic started back at the beginning of this year, around February, when Josh and I sat down and do what we normally do, which is make a big plan out, um, all of our stuff, and for all the areas we wanted to cover for Impact Sigma for the upcoming months. And August is back to school time, and with June's focus on our teen population, we wanted this episode to be all about younger kiddos and their parents. So... Frontier Health has a fabulous, free, internationally recognized parent-implemented program that helps parents work with their own children with behavioral and neurodevelopmental issues. We chose to feature the RIP program for August, so I reached out to our guests and scheduled some time to meet with her back in March, I guess, and just to get some insight into how this program actually works. I didn't really know what was going to come of it, but we talked about so many parts of the uh, RIP program it was amazing. It was the best day, and I felt like I was with family, and the thing that really hit me was the heart of the program, which is the parents, and that's what led to the inspiration for the subject of our conversation today. So when I, when I met our guest on that day, um, like I said, it was like meeting an old friend. She's great, and she made me feel welcome. We had a wonderful time. After I left, she emailed me success stories from parents um, that had completed the program, and I just sat there and read them, realizing, you know, I was really sad, on the one hand for how, you know, I can just relate to their struggles and then happy that they had such a wonderful support system. So that's when I knew we had to talk about the parents. I wanted to shed light on the stigma they fight every day caring for children with behavioral and neurodevelopmental issues. So our guest today is one of the RIP resource consultants and a case manager for Holson Children and Youth. She has an incredible story of her own to tell and lots of experience handling stigma that comes from her personal experience as a mom. I am so delighted to welcome Rebecca Rosa to our show today. Welcome to Impact Stigma. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I hope I said your last name right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you are probably one out of a thousand who actually got it right. So well, me. Yay. yay. Kudos to you. Well, I'm glad that I didn't miss, totally mispronounce your name and fumble it all down the field. All right. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember, this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you or someone you love has an urgent mental health need, please call 877 928 9062 and our 24-7 Frontier Health Crisis Team will help. If you, your child, or someone you know is in danger of suicide, go to the nearest emergency room or call 911. All right, so one of the things we like to do so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better is ask you a few generic questions. Awesome. I am an open book. All righty. So do you have any hobbies or do you do anything outside Frontier Health that nobody knows you do? <laughs> Well, um, in my little bit of spare time, I love to scrapbook. Um, I really loved listening to your story about taking your pictures because I love to document my kiddos' lives in pictures. And I love to be creative and to be able to take an ideal in my mind and transfer it to a scrapbook page and have a beautiful uh, photograph and artwork to go along with it for oh, memories. That's, cool. that's the first 
answer we've gotten on a hobby like that. I love that. I know. It's I'm cool. not a scrapbooker because I don't know how to do it, but I think it's really cool. There are some uh, incredible scrapbookers out there. They can do a lot with it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm just not talented in that arena, but I think it's really neat. And I always love and feel warm when I like look through someone's scrapbook about how they capture their lives. It's really cool. Yep. So, all right. So, I would say, what is your favorite song and why? And why? Oh. Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, that is a very good question. And there are so many songs out there. But I would have to say that my most favorite song in the whole world is God's Wheel by Martina McBride. Awesome. And it is actually a story about a little boy who has braces on his legs, who has difficulty walking and lots of challenges like our kids can have sometimes in this world. But he has the most beautiful attitude. And throughout the song, Martina talks about how he really should be the most miserable, sad, unfortunate little child, but he teaches her more in her life than she could ever teach him. And it just really touches my heart. That's awesome. I love that. How about you, Josh? Do you have a favorite song? Yeah, it's Ooh La La by The Faces. Okay, just so you all know. I travel sometimes with Josh uh-huh. to various, you know, locations when we have meetings. And I was on the phone with Greg the other day, and I was like, Josh has the absolute best playlists. Always. He Cur- always has the best music. So I curate them. I know you do. So for you to pick one, that's probably really hard. Yeah, Benton's been my favorite for many, many years. Yeah. So you need to listen to it. It's pretty cool. I will. I don't know if I have a favorite song. I think I have just like, varying things i'm on a i'm on a kick right now and maybe i'll share a little bit later but uh yeah you know all right so i guess they thought i wasn't going to ask this but if you have a favorite type of food what would that be you uh, know not favorite style or anything like this is you, one of his gosh. favorite questions it is always like you can tell a lot by somebody about the food that they crave so what is the one thing Absolutely. And it oh, food is delicious, is it, it is. not? It's my yes. favorite oh. thing in the world. So I would have <laughs> to I know, right there with you, dear. I would have to say that my favorite food in the whole wide world is my mom's taquitos. Really? I don't well, think I've ever heard that before. That's a good one. Yeah. So it's roast beef with mozzarella cheese wrapped up in a corn tortilla and baked in the oven. And not only is it delicious, but my mom would always make that when I was having a really bad day. So it is my ultimate most comfort food in the world because not only is it delicious and a little greasy, but it has the love of my mom in it. So oh, that's awesome. That's my, yeah, that's, I, like I would that. say that's my favorite. I like that. Josh is always going to say pizza. Oh, well, yeah. Well, true. <laughs> I know he, he actually has other things that are his favorite mm-hmm. I just like food in general so yes, you know. I will agree with that yep although pizza's pretty good yeah I like a good burger now I'm hungry is it lunchtime I know mm-hmm. it is unfortunately <laughs> soon so all right so my last question would be if you could go anywhere in the world right now where would it be awesome well I would have to say Scotland because that is where um, my dad's ancestry is. And I just think it would be fabulous to walk in the same soil where my great-great-great-great-grandfather walked. And just to say, I am on the same land that he came from. I just, I think that would just be a phenomenal feeling. 
That's amazing. I love that. That's another good answer. You're so nostalgic. I, I love I'm, that. I'm, you're you're very connected to loving the things that you love because it reminds you of the love you have for others. So you definitely seem very connected to nostalgia and your family and your and, and the very people that much you care. so. That's awesome. I like that. Thank you. All right. Rebecca, you and I had a very heartfelt conversation back in March, and I was determined to find a way to get you on our show to talk about you and your story. Um, you definitely had me in tears. So you are so dedicated and welcoming. I loved hearing how passionate you are about your work. I would say that it comes from your own personal story and where that led you. Will you please give our listeners a peek into what you do for Frontier and how your personal experiences led you to where you are today? Absolutely. I would be honored to talk to you about that today. I do have a degree in ETSU. Um, I am a mother of four children. My oldest is 28. I have twins that are 24 and an 11-year-old. All boys. Wow. I am seriously outnumbered in my house. But, you know, that's all just statistical number things. To me, my story is really rooted in 20 years ago, my twin boys were having some difficulties with their behaviors. Um, One of my guys, Andrew, didn't know at the time, um, but later on was diagnosed with autism. Right. 20 years ago, Autism wasn't a known thing that much. It wasn't like on your social media and everybody knew about it. Uh, I had never heard about autism before until it was brought up to me. So um, I seek the services of our program where I work right now, Regional Intervention Program. Um, We call it RIP for short. And um, I went through that program with my son and that actually encouraged me to help other families to want to make a difference in their lives with their children like was made with me. Somebody took the time to care for me and my child who was struggling. And then I went back to school and I got my degree and then worked a variety of different jobs like we all do. Right. And then I was blessed to come to Frontier Health to work at the RIP program. So I So am, what's your degree in? My degree is in child and family studies. Okay. From my nostalgia, you can tell family <laughs> is very important right. to me. And that is whatever family is your family. I love that. Um, I feel strong about families. So I came back, and now I am in a program helping families exactly the way that the wonderful individual at the RIP program helped me. It's interesting to me that when we had our meeting, um, that's kind of everyone's story that works there. They all kind of, I mean, they didn't really know about the program until they had to use the program themselves. Then they were, you know motivated and inspired to be a part of that so I mean everyone I met that day had a story absolutely so I just love that they all I mean it's not just I have a job I mean they have they are bought in they are sold in they are they are plugged in and they know what it feels like us at RIP we I mean a lot of people say they love their job but we yes you all love do. what we do let me just speak to our our listeners that that was 100 percent my impression when I got there everybody there made me feel like we just love that's all I kept hearing we love what we do we love what we do and I know that what you all do is challenging and difficult and frustrating but enormously overpowered 
by the amount of reward that you get from helping parents learn how to better parent their children, you know, so there's better outcomes all around. It, my philosophy is if I can help one family yeah. with their child, then I am a success story in what I do. That's beautiful. I love that. I love the idea of approaching the topics we discuss with factual information to help our listeners have a better look at what we're discussing first. And I know for me, I love to research areas I'm interested in and enjoy spending the time. So I figured, you know, I can go ahead and do that for everyone. So I know not everyone likes that. So this part of our show um, will hopefully help shed some light on our topic. We are first going to have a conversation about early childhood behavioral and neurodevelopmental issues. What is the difference between normal and abnormal behavior? What are some myths surrounding the topic? And then we are going to dig into how challenging it is for parents raising children with these issues and how we can all be a light for them. All right. So, Rebecca, when we are talking, I guess, about behavioral disorders and issues in children and the neurodevelopmental conditions that you all are faced with and help parents, can you help our listeners understand what that actually means? So the families that come to our program with their children can have a variety of different behaviors that their parents or guardians are concerned about. And that can be simply not following instructions, not staying in their chair, not holding their hand when it's time to leave, uh, throwing fits in the store, very aggressive behaviors, or it can also mean that a child may have a suspected ADHD they may be very hyper. They, you know, can't stay in an area, so they're running all over the place. Or they may be on the autism spectrum or have just any other issues that might be going along with them that might inhibit them from behaving the way we think a typical child should behave. Gotcha. Okay. So what are some of the most common behavior disorders you see in children? Um, we do see a lot of kids that have, that, like I said, the ADHD behaviors, the impulsivity, the inability to sit still. Uh, they may have issues with screaming. Um, they may have sensory issues where loud noises will hurt their ears and they don't know how to respond to that. Um, and we also see a lot of oppositional defiance in our kids. Mm-hmm. Basically, the kids think they're the boss. They rule the house, and mom and dad and grandma are to do what they say. Um, And then our kids will uh, commonly come to us because they've entered preschool or kindergarten, and they get in a classroom where the teachers are like, no, I'm sorry, I'm the boss. You're going to follow my rules. And then they're like, I'm not having any of that. So during my research, I actually found that it isn't typical to have a child under five years old Um, receive a diagnosis of of a serious behavioral issue or disorder during, you know, this early time of their life where they're really experiencing rapid developmental change. So can you help our listeners understand the difference between a normal and abnormal behavior associated with behavioral and neurodevelopmental issues? Absolutely. Typical behaviors in children might be what you commonly would think about two-year-old tantrum. It's mine. Everything's mine. Mm -hmm. I want this. So, you know, uh, those typical behaviors might be screaming, crying, throwing themselves in the floor. They may be aggressive, um, not staying where they're supposed to, running all over the place. Those behaviors are typical in younger children. 
where you come into a problem is is when those behaviors continue in a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Parenting styles are rarely to blame for children with behavioral challenges. So can you go over the four main types of parenting styles and their outcomes with our listeners? Uh, Yes, I can. And just on a little side note for you, Jennifer, I am also a research uh, geek. So I absolutely (laughs) love that we are talking about parenting style today. Now, there are four parenting styles that a parent will typically use. Um, I will go over those a little bit, but then I want to focus on two of them. So there is the authoritarian parent, and that's what I like to call the drill sergeant parent. Right. You do it my way or it's the highway. I'm guilty There's of that. There's no um, option. This is what we're doing. That's me. Then there is the authority. You're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Then there is the authoritative parent, which is me, which we have our strict rules, but we, that parent will take in consideration your child's thoughts and feelings in the matter. Doesn't mean your child is going to have a say so, but you do take that into consideration. That is more of the diplomatic, let's have a parent meeting around the table kind of thing. There is the permissive parent, and that is the parent that has very few rules and very few demands. That is the parent that wants to be their child's best friend. And then there is the uninvolved parent. That's the parent that has no rules, no time, and no consideration for their child. I call them self-absorbed parents. Gotcha. All right. So one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked about here, because you and I talked about it in our meeting a while back, and that is... That the kids that you're working with, these parenting styles don't typically work with the behavioral children with behavioral issues and neurodevelopmental issues. So, you know, you'll I think that's probably why parents end up coming to you because they're thinking, okay, these things aren't working. Why are they not working? I'm really stressed out. I need some help. And that's where you guys come in. So can you just kind of share with our, our parents out there and our listeners what you would recommend just briefly about what, what kind of styles actually would work with this population? Sure. Um, yeah, I can absolutely do that. But I would like to talk a little bit about what doesn't work. Perfect. So we can do both. The, the authoritarian <laughs> parent, the drill sergeant parent, Josh, usually mm-hmm. is the parent that expects too much from their child. And when you expect too much from your three or four year old, you tend to get more behaviors out of your child because they become frustrated because they can't live up to your expectations of what you are asking of them. And that will lead them to have behaviors or that power struggle that you can get in with your child. And I am sure there are a lot of parents out there nodding their head going, oh, I have totally been in a power struggle with my child Yeah, before. I know I have, for 100% Absolutely. Sure. And then you'll have the permissive parent where there's no structure, there's no rules, give everything to my kiddo that they need so they're happy and they don't throw a fit and they don't have behaviors. Right. And then when they're put into a situation where they have to have structure, then everything is cut loose and they come to us and they're like, oh, my child's about ready to be kicked out of daycare or preschool. Or the kindergarten teacher has suggested that I homeschool my child. I have to work. I can't do that. Right. 
So that is where our parents that come to us run into a problem. And then we help guide them through techniques and strategies to get their children to listen to them. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really good to have structure. And that's kind of in that authoritative parent where you have the structures and you have the rules, but you also listen to your children right. and you really learn to pick your battles. Pick oh, your gosh, battles. Yes. yes. I want to, I agree with that a thousand bazillion percent. I've learned that over the years that I have older kids and I've learned that if you just pick your battles, it's a whole lot better. And I just think that's great. Debunking myths about early childhood mental and behavioral health is critical to getting more children the help and understanding they deserve. Can you share with our listeners the biggest myths surrounding early childhood mental and behavioral health issues? Um, There are three myths that really stand out to me in regards to childhood uh, mental and behavioral health issues. One is parents can really struggle with their children being labeled. I don't want my child to be thought of as the bad kid. Oh, oh, there's Billy. He's that one that's a troublemaker. So they really, really are scared of their child having a label, which is understandable. I totally, totally get that. Another myth that... um, can often be associated with is the way that people judge our parenting. You know, you will be out at the store and, you know, somebody, and I actually had this comment to me when my Andrew was four, when he's having a meltdown in the store and this lady walks by me and just says, well, you know, if you just spank him, he wouldn't act that way. And my first thought was, how dare you? Yeah. You don't know me. You don't know why my child is melting down. You don't have a clue. So, you know, a lot of times parents will be on, uh, like with the parenting styles that we were talking about, they'll be on either end of the spectrum. We'll just spank them. That wouldn't happen if that was my child. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, if I had this child, or they'll be on the other end of, oh, God, that child's acting up in this restaurant. Just give them something to make them happy so they'll will stop crying. Before I had children, I was totally guilty of that, 100%. Sitting in restaurants, especially with crying or screaming kids, like, oh my gosh, take that child outside or just give them something to eat. What are you doing? And now I'm like, I feel you. I feel all the, I have all the feels for you right now, sister. You know, I really do. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, and restaurants are really hard for our kids. They are so stimulating. And if you get a child that has neurodevelopable problems and sensory is an issue for them, you just have no idea. Like with my Andy, lights in our building here right now actually are in restaurants. The fluorescent lights, they actually hum. For a normal Uh, person who can drown things out, you never hear those. My Andy it sounds like a train is going through his brain. So you have the lights, you have the music, which to me is environment. It makes it an atmosphere. To him, it's more noise. And then people are moving around, and then someone's drinking over here, and someone's eating over here, and the waitress is coming in and out into his space. I can't tell you how many times we just said, "Uh, excuse me, Will you pack our food to go? We're leaving. Right. So it, it, you just don't understand how hard it is 
to be in yeah. public with your child when they're having these issues. Mm-hmm. Well, I would just like to say to all of our listeners out there, for you parents that have gone through this, that we love you and no shame and pack that stupid food up and leave if you have to and don't even think twice about it. Exactly. You do what you have to do Absolutely. for your child and nobody else's opinion of you or your parenting matter. I agree 100%. Yep. All right, guys. So we're going to take a quick break to share a word from our episode sponsor, Food City. We love you, Food City. And then we'll be right back to hear more from Rebecca. I'm here with a Food City All-Star Shopper after another stellar go-kart curbside pickup performance. Shelly, how do you do it? (laughs) Well, Howard, it takes determination to ensure every customer gets groceries exactly the way they like it. Every cut of meat, every piece of produce is chosen with the customer in mind. That's what it takes to be a champion. There you have it. Order online from Food City and experience go-kart curbside pickup at the highest level. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right, you guys, we are back with our special guest, Rebecca Rusa, and we are going to shift gears a little and talk to our parents out there that are struggling with children with these issues We really just want to dig in to how they can get help and some effective methods they can use right now. All right. So my favorite takeaway from our meeting in March was that everyone at RIP is extremely passionate about empowering parents and helping them understand their children. The program works side by side to help parents learn how to meet their kids where they are and implement what they have learned and pay it forward. So can you share with us more about the RIP approach and how it works? Yes, RIP is a behavior modification program. Um, We do a classroom type setting where our kiddos are in the class learning to sit on their bottoms. They're working puzzles and art and they are learning to have appropriate table skills for snack and they are doing social skills and they are doing group and story. And while they are there, their parents are being classroom trained with our classroom coordinator, and they are learning all the techniques and strategies that RIP is all about. And then they are able to practice that in the classroom. And they are also working with a case manager where they are doing sessions behind a one-way mirror where they're practicing giving clear instructions, removing their attention from undesirable behaviors, and giving their attention to the behaviors that they want to see in their child. And the most wonderful thing about our program is, is we do a phase one and a phase two. Phase one, the parents are being actively trained in a non-judgmental environment, and we're helping them to deal with their kids' behaviors. But then they give back in time for the second part of our program where we call the payback phase. And in that phase, our parents are actually practicing everything that we have taught them. We don't just give them their information and say, good luck, we'll see you later. How many parenting books are out there that just sit on the shelf that you read and think, oh, that's fabulous, but you never do it. So our parents take their time in the classroom with their kids and other kids practicing everything that we're teaching them. And then in the classroom, they become a support system and a mentor for our new families coming in. 
So when our new families hit the door and they are baffled by everything, they're struggling, they think they're the only person in the world that is having any of these issues, they come into our classroom and they see us as professionals, but they also see our parents who were in their spot just three short months ago. And they see them doing this in the classroom. And so they get to see it from us. They get to learn about it through videos and homework projects they get to do. And then they actually get to do it in the classroom and see other parents doing it to kind of say, look, I've been there, honey. You can do this. You got this. That's awesome. Um, That was my favorite thing. I was so excited when you guys showed me the mirror. I was like, this is so great. Just to be able to sit and watch your kid with someone else and know what they're supposed to do and then be able to go around the other side and be in the, and as a parent and sit down and do that and actually see it work. Like how inspiring. That is so great. And what Jennifer is talking about is where we've got two classrooms. We have a one-way mirror. Right. So your kid, um, and we find this a lot, parents really struggle working with their kids first. So we help them practice on other children. So while their kid is in one classroom, they're helping in another, but they can observe everything that's going on with their kids, where their kids don't know. Because we all know, anybody that's a parent knows that the moment your kid sees your face, they act totally different than they do without you. So you can observe in, in their natural environment of what they're doing in the classroom. It's brilliant. All right, so we know from your story earlier that you actually began as a parent in need of help. So what initially led you to seek services with a regional intervention program or RIP? So I noticed differences in my Andrew. Um, Like I said before, he is a twin. So he was really struggling with communicating, Mm -hmm. talking. He actually had no verbal communication, no language. So he wasn't talking. He wasn't interacting with his brother. He wasn't playing. He wasn't interacting with me or his father. Um, And they were getting ready to start preschool. And I was really worried with the lack of the communication, the lack of social skills, and the lack of sensory issues. Um, Him going into the classroom. So at his checkup at the doctor, I noticed there was a pamphlet about the RIP program in the lobby. And I asked my doctor about it, and she wholeheartedly recommended the program. So I went to that hoping to help Andrew. And the most fabulous thing with it was where Logan was in the same age, because being twins, obviously they're the same age, he was able to come along in the program too and help get ready for school too. So both of the boys went through the program 20 years ago. Aww. Oh, man. Yeah, so when you talked about your birthday earlier, honey, you are not old. <laughs> you <laughs> he are just gives everybody old. else a hard time about their age, so I get to call him out. Gotcha, there you go. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, So how did the program change your child's behavior? So I know that we have a small amount of time for this podcast, but I could talk for days about (laughs) my Andrew like any other parent with, with their children. And don't get me wrong. I love all of my children, but I really think that Andrew is a ray of sunshine that God turned into a little boy. So that's so cute and sweet. So when we left, when I graduated the program, Andrew was talking. Um, I can't tell you what it felt like to be driving down the road when my boy said, Mama. And the first word in our kiddo is precious. But when you wait four years 
for that first word. Yeah. It's just a little bit sweeter. So he was um, sitting on his bottom. He was working his puzzles. He was staying in the line. He actually has huge issues with things being on his hands, not wanting to wash his hands, mm-hmm. not wanting to touch anything with texture. Uh, they actually did an activity during group with shaving cream on the table, and each kid got to take a turn, you know, writing letters or just playing in the shaving cream and I just thought to myself whoa this is going to be a meltdown here we go and group was at the end of program so I knew I was going to have a meltdown and then my kid was coming in the car and going home with me but oh no Miss <laughs> um, Ashley who is our uh, program coordinator worked with him he actually let the shaving cream be on his hand Yay. and stay on his hands and that may sound like no big deal mm-hmm. to a parent but if you have a child with autism or any sensory issues something staying on their hands is a huge huge deal so I remember putting him in the car and crying all the way home which sounds silly to me now but because my child had shaving cream on their hands um so you were like yes yes this is an enormous win I'm so thankful definitely that was definitely a win that day definitely so how did the program change you as a parent or a person that is like I said before the most favorite thing that I have about this program is the parent support that comes with it. When I came to the program, I had an eight-year-old and four-year-old twins. Um, My brother is significantly younger than me, so I helped raise him. I had been a nanny before. So I had these children, and I thought, I'm a pretty decent parent. I know how to change a diaper. I know how to give a bottle. Then Andy came with these special issues, and I said, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And then when you feel like you don't know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. your self-confidence level goes down. Yes. And then you deal with it day after day after day, and you feel beat up. And you feel like, well, maybe I'm terrible at being a parent. Then you hear from, you know, the outside. Oh, yes. Then you have that that look or that that glare or that I know better than you why can't you handle your kids and all of the stigma that piles on top of you that creates shame I'm sure that lady at the restaurant when we're packing up our food to go why doesn't your kid be quiet why won't your kid hold your hand in the store you know you have all of that so what changed me most as a parent was one I learned the techniques and strategies to handle Andrew's behaviors I had confidence within myself so when I left the RIP program, I knew that no matter what happened, I had the skills in me to handle that. My confidence level went through the roof. That's great. So what is your biggest piece of advice for parents that are caring for children with these issues? My biggest advice that I can give any parent, whether you have a child who just doesn't listen or you have a child on the spectrum, no matter what's going on in your family or your situation, my biggest advice is do not worry about what people think about you, whether it's in your family, your friends, the stranger at the post office, the lady in the restaurant, you 
seek the services that your child needs. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about that. You give your child the best possible support that you can give. And that support starts in early intervention. Don't be afraid. Absolutely. And you know what? For all of our listeners out there, the next time you see a parent struggling with their children, I really hope after listening to this that you will show grace and understanding and maybe just maybe say something positive and give them an a girl or an boy instead of, you know, a smirk or some snide comment and just lift up them and bring light to them. That's what we want, you know, and just the little steps like that help break the stigma for this particular situation. Absolutely. So, I mean, kids that are suffering from this, stress out, but the parents that are handling these children, it is a struggle. It is exhausting, you know, and they deserve a little bit of light in their life. And yeah. we adults need to, I mean, just pass it along. You know? Absolutely. Plus it's, plus, it's nice to be nice. I agree with you. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Being kind, being a good human, being a nice human is a really, really big deal. I, I just love to go by parents that I see are struggling and just say, you know, you got this. That's a good one. You got All this. All right, everybody, you got, you just say you got this. Yes. Let's just use that. (laughs) And if you tell yourself that over and over and over and over again, you're going to start to believe that you do. Yeah. You got this. And if you feel like you don't, reach out and get help. Or just listen to this podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Regarding the population you serve, what are some of the biggest fears you have encountered from the parents that seek help from the RIP program? Oh, and I must say, we hear all kinds of things when uh, these kiddos come and these families come to us. But I would have to say that uh, there are three of the most popular things that really stick out to me. One is judgment. Right. People are not kind. You know, like we do, we've already talked about people in the store just looking at, you get dirty looks. You get comments like, just spank your child. And they also have a fear that we're going to judge them when they come to us, that suddenly their child is going to be the worst child we have (laughs) ever seen on the planet. And I promise you, that is not the case. (laughs) We have seen all kinds of things. But the wonderful thing is we are here to help with that. And we are most certainly not going to judge you on anything. Because as a parent myself through this program, I have been there and I have done that and I don't want the t-shirt for that. Uh, We also (laughs) see the fact that parents are shamed. They feel embarrassed about their children behaving this way and they think why can't I take care of my child that's so sad you know everything that you do in life you have to take a test for Mm -hmm. we had to go to school take a test get our degree you have to take a test to drive your car you have to learn everything that you do except be a parent you have your baby in the hospital they hand it over and they say good luck We'll see you later. So parenting is the hardest thing that we will do. So a lot Amen. I mean, super hard. And then also we see that there's a lack of support for our parents. There's a lack of support in the community, maybe within their own families. You know, you, we may have a mom that wants to get help for their child, but then you've got dad saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with my princess. Right. Or you might get... Uh, a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or your own parents that say, oh, there's nothing wrong with little Billy. And you may feel alone 
and isolated. Because when your kids aren't behaving in public, you stop going to the store with them. Yeah. You stop going out to eat. You stop going to family functions because Uncle Billy is like, your kid's a brat. Please don't bring them to my house. You are blessed to have your child and you're alone. I think the word home. isolated is a really good Very word. Very isolated. Yeah. The it, isolated feeling, even if you're surrounded by kids and people. Absolutely. You just tend to feel alone. I've been through that. I understand it. I know there's a lot of people in, in my circle of friends that have gone through the same thing. And after meeting you, it was just very enlightening. So, you know, parents out there, it's nice to know that you're not alone. Exactly. And there's an opportunity for resources and, and help. And, you know, this program is, is one of those. Absolutely. All right. So how can a parent qualify for the RIP program? Qualifying for our program is very simple and it's very easy. The only requirements that we have is one, they live in the state of Tennessee Mm -hmm. because we are grant funded by the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse. And they have to have a behavior in their child that they are concerned about. That's it. That's fantastic. We, we have two locations. Uh, we have a program in Johnson City on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh-huh. And we have program in Kingsport on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And what facilities are those? Um, our facility in Johnson City is a standalone facility. Uh-huh. And in Kingsport, we are in Holston Children and Youth. Okay. The only thing they have to do is give us a call, take the time to fill out the paperwork, we used to only do that in person, but with the struggles that we're having right now of meeting in person, we can do that over the phone. Okay, cool. So that's the only thing that they have to do. Easy enough. Oh, it's easy enough. And there's no, this is not dependent on what you make. Anybody uh, no. can come, right? Anybody from a family that is struggling that has nothing to a family that has all the riches in the world. There are no income guidelines. We don't take insurance. They just give back their time in our payback program. I love that. All right. One last question. I ask every single person that sits in your chair, if you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? I would ask myself about my fabulous coworkers because I've done a lot of talking about myself today and I want to shed light on them. Uh, Ashley Mullins is our coordinator of our program. Right. She has been in the program for about 22 years. Um, I have to give her kudos because I feel like she has totally changed my life. Thank you, Miss Ashley. Yes, I love her greatly. Um, When I came to the program, not only did she help me with my child's behaviors, but inadvertently, she didn't know this at the time, she helped encourage me to want to help families and to better myself. So once I left the program, I went to college, got my degree, and now I'm back at RIP. So she has changed my life full circle, and I cannot begin to thank her enough for that. I love that you did today. Oh, yes. And then Kayla Norris is our classroom coordinator. And the most beautiful thing about Kayla is she came to our program about two years ago with her daughter, who is on the spectrum as well. And I was her case manager. So she came through the program And I helped her with the techniques and strategies to change her child. And then she came back to our program. So Ashley encouraged me. 
I came back to the program. I encouraged Kayla. She came back to the program. So all three of us are intertwined greatly, and it just shows the power and love that we have for what we do and for this fabulous program. It was one of my favorite things the day that we all talked. It, I had, You guys had me crying in, in a good way. So I really enjoyed meeting everybody. And I just hope that somebody out there that might need this program reaches out because it is a wonderful program. Absolutely. And we are here. We're here to help any way that we can. And I promise everyone out there listening, you will get not one ounce of judgment from any of us. Not one. She's right. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, Rebecca. This has been so enlightening and we are so glad you came. We really are. For our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed this episode of Impact Stigma and thank you so much for joining us. We know that without all of you, we couldn't be here. So thank you for being such incredibly supportive fans. But you know what? What? You know we have a big event coming up. You know we do. So guess what, you guys? You're going to have to stay tuned. You're going to have to check out our social media posts. Yep, it's coming. Keep an eye out in September for a pretty big announcement. You know. You You know it. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. And remember, go make an impact. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. 